Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. I'm here in our online studio with my friends, Nick Bianchi and Anna Lane. I met Nick and Anna a couple years ago at the Growing Young Disciples Conference in England. And uh, I have been lucky and blessed and honored enough to call them friends ever since. And so uh, we were texting a bit and saying, hey, let's just hop on and kind of tease each other and have a lot of fun. And this is going to be a really uh, fun conversation and interesting conversation, especially for our American listeners, to learn more about um, real youth work in England. So Nick is the children and youth worker at Cheam Baptist Church. Anna is the children and youth worker at Grace Church, Worcester Park. And they're both on uh, the outer rim of London. And so they're in the city, but not in the city. And um, yeah, so Nick, Anna, how are you guys doing? We're good. I, well, I speak on behalf of myself. <laughs> yeah, how are you no, doing, Anna? I'm doing good, thanks. Yeah, oh, we are both well. Great. Mike, good. are we the, we the first English people you've ever had on your podcast? You're or, not. Uh, a few. I'm, I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, I might, might have had to apologize on behalf of all English people if we were. Well, yeah. apologize for yourself. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Gareth, on behalf of myself. Gareth and, and Robin were on. Um, a few months back. Oh, good, but, good. So, some, some right, dignity. So, yeah. So, all right. Um, intro question: When you guys were growing up, uh, what was your favorite TV show or band when you were a teenager? Good question, Anna. Uh, thank you, Doctor Who. Straight up, I loved it, and still do. <laughs> That's such a wonderful. English answer. It <laughs> so makes me very happy. So it is very well. I'd say it's stereotypically British answer. It is, but the more people I talk to now, I feel like Doctor is slightly drifting out of the popular. Yes. Vibes. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a number of years ago, you would have said Doctor Who, and I would have been like, "Who?" Yeah. yeah. So yeah. really, yeah. I, when I, did Doctor Who get known in America? Uh, well, that's probably not the right question. Uh, it's a question of when <laughs> did right I question? become aware of... Uh, so, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who are big fans of Doctor Who, but I have never really... I've never watched a single episode, and I didn't really even know what it was about, honestly, until um, uh, Cumberbatch was cast as Doctor Strange. That's what put it on my radar. Oh, wait, what? But, so, <laughs> but, when, that's not the same thing, right? What, wasn't he something to do with... Wasn't it, he a, a Doctor Who or something? No. no. He, I mean, the only link, I think, between him and Doctor Who is that he was in Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock. Oh, that's Stephen what it was. Oh, see, yeah, okay. Like, well, was editor, we can cut that out because I sound stupid. But, <laughs> yeah. I think that's an important piece of information that your <sighs> listeners yeah. need to hear. No. All right. So what, why um, is that your favourite? I love it. I don't, I've always loved it. So since it came back in 2005, like, I think I just, like, my dad and my brother were really into it and they were really excited when it first came back so then I got really into it as well so I feel bad now because I would say my favorite show was <laughs> was Friends which is really American um I'm and, so disappointed and, you know I know <laughs> try again know, but you know why it was that because well it's twofold um I, I I didn't have a lot of friends growing up <laughs> as a child. And I thought, oh, you know, having having a group of six friends, that looks really nice. But also, I think it was the first time I became aware that sarcasm might be understood in America. 
because Chandler <laughs> was like a hero of mine He's my with favorite. his sarcasm. And I was like, oh yeah, they get it. Um, but but I didn't know whether whether it was a really big thing because generally sarcasm seems to be quite a British sense of humor. Um, but it was it was weirdly, I think it was that era where American sitcoms just exploded on UK television. It was a particular era in the 90s where where a lot of American influence really became massive. And in my childhood, that was like, um, yeah, I think it was particularly when American culture just exploded on the scene and started to impact everything that we were seeing and doing. Um, and it was just really influential. Um, but yeah, you're laughing at me because you're yeah. thinking, what a nerd. <laughs> No friends. friends was really influential is a statement that I feel like you've just made. <laughs> the haircut. Did you never have the... Oh, no, you didn't. I mean, because you were watching Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also saying it came across in the 90s and that's when I was born. Yeah. We're not I was going to mention the age here. Yeah. There, there's an age gap, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And it's very young. <laughs> But you're saying that like Doctor Who. I mean, Doctor Who existed long before you were born. I mean, that started yeah. in the 60s? 60s. But it came back. It kind of took a break in 96 and then came back in 2005. So there you go. <laughs> All right. So welcome to this episode of Television Review. Uh, <laughs> um, so we... One of the things I think that is interesting, though, Nick, is is the sarcasm note, right? That um, Brits are quite sarcastic, and so are New Englanders. So this is part of why um, we connected. We, we connected and became friends because I think we just threw barbs at each other all conference long, um, and then well, for a really long time, I I think you didn't quite know whether we were joking or not and whether we were just like really creepy weird. <laughs> no, so so I often feel this way because New Englanders are also highly sarcastic people who have a reputation in America for just being rude. And it's like, no, we're not rude. We're just sarcastic. It's just our humor. Um, then it comes off wrong, like most of the time. Um, we're not jerks. We just act like them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we connected and then we were both. Yeah. Anyway, so I appreciate you guys. And, um, I, I think that it was, it was really interesting to be, um, with you guys and with others and to learn more about, uh, the school system in, in the UK and just how different that is from what we're accustomed to here in America. And then some of the trickle down of how that affects what age what age do students enter your youth ministry and um, our kids in the worship service and um, just a lot of youth ministry related types of issues. Um, so I'm just wondering if if you guys could share and explain <laughs> for for us a little bit um, how does your school system work? What's the difference between college and university? Um, how old are students when they enter youth group? Kind of just walk us through some of that. Sure, I go for it. So kind of the schooling system, kids start school at five um, and then they're in primary school for seven years. So five to 11 year olds are kind of within that primary school bracket which is your prep the elementary school yeah elementary that's it um and then 11 to 16 they go to secondary school sometimes we call it high school um and then 16 to 18 they're in college which we call sixth form and i'm sorry you call it what sixth sixth form form. yeah don't ask me why i have no idea (laughs) But college is just the more sixth form college. Um, so, yeah, it's the sixth form 
um, that they've been through, I guess. Okay. But we don't call the other yeah. other sections forms. Um, Interesting. And then they'll go off to uni if you choose to go to uni at 18. And then we only talk about graduation once you've finished uni. So it's a university thing to graduate. So we wouldn't say you graduate college or high school. Um, really? We just don't have that So concept. there's like no acknowledgement or celebration? So, it, well, it used to be that you could leave school at, before you went to college. So you used to be able to leave at 16, but now it's compulsory to stay in education uh, of some form, even if that's to do an apprenticeship till you're 18. So all students um, are in school from uh, basically five to 18 um, and they, they stay in. So youth would be in our youth groups from 11 to 18. That would be a, a youth group. Um, but after they're 18, they're no longer in our youth group. So young people in an English context, once they're over 18, they're off to university. They're no longer in a youth, a youth group. They'd go off and they'd be part of a, yeah. a CU or be part a of a student group a student at church. Okay. So, questions. Um, <laughs> in sixth form, um, mm-hmm. so you said some of that is an apprenticeship or it can be more like academic courses. So is that like a vocational school type of setting or you actually find a mentor to apprentice under if you want to become like a carpenter or a plumber or whatever? Like, what does what are the options there? It can be both. Yeah, I want to answer yes to that question, <laughs> yeah, and okay. I know that's not the so right it does, answer. But it doesn't need to be, it's not always all academic that there are options for what no, so that looks like. like. When I was at college, I did my A-levels, I chose three subjects and studied those, but then I had friends who did hairdressing, so then they'd spend some time in study, and they'd spend some time cutting hair, Um so other friends who did mechanics and things like that. So it was really quite broad when you get to 16 yeah. to 18. We've got a place nearby that does animal husbandry, which I always think is really <laughs> funny, um, which is like it's like a farm where you can go and look at how you look after animals, all sorts of different animals yep. on this farm. Yeah. Um, or you can go off and, and you can work alongside somebody and, and get trained in... Um, the more practical skills of plumbing or carpentry yeah. or um, electricians or and you can work up and get qualifications in things but it, it would be um, still with the intention of learning skills and passing some sort of right. um, qualification mm. of some type rather than specifically going and that into starts it, at 16 yeah that's once once you've got okay. what we call GCSEs which yeah. are an e- exam that you pass a whole bunch of exams like English, math, sciences, uh, normally a language, that sort of yeah. thing at the age of 16. Um, once you've got those, you go on to do a couple more okay. up to the age of 18. So in America, we have elementary school. Um, and then in sixth grade, so roughly, you know, usually around 12, um, students enter middle school. <clears throat> Sorry. So students enter middle school for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Some still have a, a junior high model where it's just 7th and 8th grade. And so that starts at 13. So it depends on what state you're in and then even what town you're in. So um, where I live, uh, it's middle school. So it's 6th, 7th, 8th grade. Um, a couple towns over, there are other schools who have just a junior high that's 7th and 8th grade. So usually... Um, youth ministries will follow the school system that's in their town for when students enter into youth group. So even that is a little bit inconsistent. And then in ninth grade, when you're um, like 14, 14 or 15, is usually when you'll enter high school and then you graduate from 12th grade, right? When you're a senior, um, then you graduate. And it's always this big like fanfare um, celebration and with your cap and gown and yeah, it's like become a thing. That I think we're a bit much. more muted in the UK. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. we're not we're not so big on celebration like generally. I think 
sadly we don't we don't make such a big thing i mean i think in one of your books mike you were talking about um even just at the end of um youth work you often mark you have a sort of a celebration a, a graduation yeah. point when kids move out of um or, or perhaps at least you encourage when kids move out of the youth work and go into kind of church life yeah. you encourage this kind of celebration this graduation moving on ceremony yeah. where you encourage the youth to kind of join the adult congregation yeah and we we don't even really do that i don't know any uk church that does something like that and i don't know if that is that a a common thing in in the u.s i don't know um like i've not come across that yeah so what i think you're referencing is like an honor the graduate night um or a graduation celebration or something like that that is quite common in american youth ministries to have um some sort of acknowledgement or celebration for our students who are graduating from high school and moving on either into the workforce or into college or university. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing here. Um, and if we didn't do something like that, then it would, parents would probably be quite upset. Um, we need to and get it would be, party. it would be a bit strange. <laughs> Um, yeah, it would be a bit strange. So, yeah. Um, all right. So how do you, can you, can you just share a little bit about, um, what are, what are the students in your, in your ministry like? <laughs> um, I, I know. Terrible. It's uh, terrible. Wow. I'm going <laughs> to tell them you said so. Um, you can. They'll love it. So Please they'll be so. like, oh, we know. Um, (laughs) we know he hates us. (laughs) Uh, So I I do think that in terms of being a Christian country or a post-Christian country, um, UK is, um, more post-Christian than America, uh, in general. Um, New England is more post-Christian than the rest of America. So, uh, I, I often think of it as, uh, New England is, further down the line uh, than the rest of America, and you guys are further down the line than we are here in New England. Um, so uh, we, we were having a little uh, joke, a little laugh earlier about who is who is the future, right? Are, are you the future of America or, or are we the future? Because we're just going to catch up to you, right? That you're living in the present and uh, we're coming. So I do think that there's a lot of overlap Um and a lot that American youth workers can learn from youth workers in the UK and Australia and in, in Europe because you're doing a lot of the youth work that we will be doing in, in an, a number of years. So I think it would be really helpful just to, to hear from you, just what does, what does your ministry, not the, the program and structure of your ministry, but um, what does ministry to teenagers look like for you guys? What what do those conversations sound like? What questions are you hearing from your students? Um, it's pretty open at this point for you guys to share about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. I mean, in many senses, I think a lot of our a lot of our kids probably in our groups are fairly. Um, balanced kids um and so in some ways the the kids that we're interacting with often on a daily basis might not be representative of the kind of kids um that you might they might be rubbing up against every day um but the kind of kids that you will meet if you were to go onto the high streets or into the local schools, um, they'll be the kids probably you're, you're talking about, and and the kind of uh, the general vibe of the nation. I mean, it'd be interesting to know how how it was in the US, but but I just get the impression that as a nation, and particularly as a, a younger generation, they're just they're just lost. You know, there's there's a sense of aimlessness um when it comes to 
to identity and to purpose and to to value because they've been told for so long that they can be anything and do anything and have anything and the reality is they're getting to a stage where that's being tested and proved to not be true it's getting to a point where where some of these kids are now rubbing up to the reality that they're being told one thing and and that's conflicting with the realities um if you think about um gender identities um i i mean i'm hearing parents telling me sort of heartbreaking stories um of of people saying things about identity and, and claiming this privilege to be whoever you want to be but then the reality of of claiming that identity clashes so quickly with um who other people need you to be um and it, it's hard it's hard for me to kind of explain this without giving you specific scenarios um and, and i don't know anna whether you have particular incidences but um i mean i i was with one mum recently and she was she has a, a daughter who's um who's very hot on this very very much down the route of you can't tell somebody who they are or what they are um or who they want to be um and so she has friends who would identify very much down one route but when they when they go down that route too far um it, you can only take that so far before other things start to come along and 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 you get roadblocks um and we're seeing that in areas like sport um mm-hmm. where lots of times um if somebody wants to be identifying as a girl and then suddenly they're competing in the girl sports yeah. and the girls are suddenly saying well i feel disadvantaged because this person has right. has changed but they still have um some of the benefits to having you know some of the biological benefits of having yep. transitioned from yep. being a man there's there's some of that tension they're, they're they're battling with i don't know can you can you have any of those examples <laughs> um yeah i think like nick said at the beginning is might this might not necessarily be representative of all of the uk yeah in terms of we live in a relatively affluent area like a lot of people will go into london get london salaries um so that kind of idea of you can be whoever you want to be is very like relevant prevalent in our particular area mm-hmm. i've noticed it especially in schools so i used to be a primary school teacher and what we're drilling into the children from a really young age is that you can do anything like resilience is massive in schools yeah. and in some ways i think that's really good so we used to tell the kids you can't you're not allowed to say I can't do it you can say I can't do it yet or I can't do it um unless I have some help so there was no limit to Mm -hmm. to what you can do and so if you have that mindset if you have kind of the the money then people feel like there is no limit to what you can do whereas I think in potentially other places in the UK that might not necessarily be as like high ceilinged um but yeah I think that is we're starting to see the repercussions of that if I can do anything then I can be anyone and I can it's almost too too open um and so yeah I think that's like young people are finding that hard right mental health in young people Mm, is skyrocketing yeah um and it's yeah, I don't 
and and I don't know it's probably the same in the US but access to um sort of antidepressants and stuff it's 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 gone up so much like children are so quickly put onto antidepressants and diagnosed with depression and and to some extent that's that's been a really positive step that we're talking about mental health but um children are just are just really struggling and and access to to social media at a much younger age and the amount that is being put on to social media the amount that they're consuming now i think it's not just about consumption but i think it's about overindulgence i think i think kids have actually just become overwhelmed in the uk they've become so bombarded with media and content that they just don't know what's true anymore and i think that's become a really huge thing and i guess the other thing that i would say and and i guess maybe this is probably true in the us but the number one biggest sin in the uk at the moment is what i i guess i think it was piper called the intolerance of tolerance it's like you cannot tell somebody that they cannot do something you the biggest thing right now is that you have to tolerate everybody regardless yeah. unless that is um yeah that you have a particular opinion on something in which mm. case that is frowned upon right but i think with that is a massive double standard like yeah. one of the big things my young people say uh it's a in my school it's okay to be anything except from being a christian it's that yeah kind of because there's so much association with what christians think and believe and we're tolerant of everyone apart from christianity because they're they're not tolerant so so we've lost the ability to discuss and debate and disagree um and and to still be friends at the end of the day mm-hmm. um it's part mm. of the kind of cancel culture mm. if you disagree with me we cannot be friends anymore yeah, because but we hate each other. It's, and it's not true. It's just that we maybe have different opinions and we can still get along. It's so paradoxical. Like the phrase, my truth, this is my truth. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hold it. I'm going to have it. And that's okay. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. So what that, do you I mean, think? How does that relate? Uh, aside from kind of the, the obvious, um, why do you think there is so much anti-Christian posture, attitude, etc. Um, what is it about Christianity that you're hearing, not just from like the talking heads in culture, but from 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 students, from families, from people who you know and actually talk to? Um, what is it about Christianity in particular that seems especially offensive? I think a lot of it has stemmed from perceptions of Christianity towards the um, LGBTQ movement, particularly. I think people have a perception, whether or not it's true, um, and and therefore have labelled Christianity, and particularly at the moment with young people. Um, I think they they assume Christians are intolerant towards um, homosexuals, period, Um, and therefore are intolerant towards anybody in any sort of um, minority persuasion in any capacity. And, and, And this kind of idea has kind of tainted people's views and has been really built on by um, particular groups like Stonewall, I think, in in the UK. They've kind of been quite loud in in promoting some of these views um, Mm -hmm. and quite perhaps anti-Christian. And that's built a bit of momentum, I think, in the UK. Um, I I think as well... (sighs) The Church of England has been quite divided, um, particularly in recent years, yeah. um, on their stance 
And because of this lack of unity within the church, that's been used as a kind of um, attack on Christianity as a whole, where you're not divided, you can't even uh, love each other, and you're clearly um, not loving people within your communities. And and so there's there's just so much tension, and it's and it's sad when. I mean, when for, for starters, it's not even true in the first place when people aren't engaging with individual Christians and what Christians think, but they're perceiving something um, based on perhaps some verses from the Bible that they've taken out of context or not really discussed with anybody or um, perhaps based on um, church actions in the past mm-hmm. or regrettable things that they've heard or um, perhaps past church hurts that people have experienced um and and develop those i would say that was probably one one area i don't know if if there's another that you'd think i think that is the what the, the thing that stood out to me the most um i think it's just that sense that you know we've moved on like we've evolved we don't need christian christianity anymore mm. we're not a christian country um, so, you know, let's move on. It's outdated. Um, and then, yeah, that is, it seems harsh. Did you want it to mention the harsh. census data? Did, uh, you, did you hear about this, Mike? I don't know if you heard about it. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah so it's, uh, we had a census done in the UK um, and it's Christianity is its lowest point um, that it's ever been yeah. in the UK. Yeah. So I think it was around... Less than 50% of the UK, for the first time in history, have said that they are no longer um, Christian, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which in previous generations, it's always been over 50%. And therefore, all the newspapers were saying, like, we are no longer a Christian nation. (laughs) And it's like, as if we were ever 50%. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, that would have been huge. It's been sort of saying, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. If we were fifty percent of the people in the nation going to churches and celebrating Jesus, yeah, what a win! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. still, this is being used as kind of churches are on the decline, Christianity is on the way out. All right. Yeah. So interesting. Um, one of the things that stands out to me uh, from what you've both shared is um, a lot of a lot of what you're saying resonates here in the states. I think wherever our listeners might live, even if they live in the Bible Belt in the South, um, might think, oh yeah, like so what's the difference between UK and, and here in Georgia if I, I'm I'm hearing a lot of the same thing here. Um, I think the difference comes down, Anna, to what you said of we've moved on. Right? That mm-hmm. just that this sense of not like not even so much, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm wrong, but this is what I'm seeing in New England, and this is my sense of what what's happening in in UK is we're not even fighting this anymore. We're just moving on. Like it, it's not so much even anger about Christians as much as it's just dismissiveness. Like yeah. mm-hmm. I, I'm not That's even going nice to waste you. my breath <laughs> arguing with Christians about this stuff. I'm you're yeah. just you're not even worth my time or arguing with anymore. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think going back to schools, like in the past, even non-church schools would teach quite Christian morals, Christian values, um, whereas now I think they're not going to outright come out and say, like it's something completely against, but there's a lot right. more focus. They are on, teaching secularism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so, of course, for sure. Um, so if that's where kind of young people are starting, um, yeah. like we've moved on from Christian morals, then that's where we're gonna, I guess, keep on going. Yeah, and and it's the, the phrase. I don't know if it, if you hear it a lot over there, Mike, but. You do you, like it's, oh, the, it's time, the yeah. phrase, like uh, yeah, yeah like that's fine if if that works for you. But quite honestly, I don't really care. And 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 that's I think the big thing in in the UK now. It's like people are just not 
they're not interested. They're not yeah. bothered. Like I've, I mean, I've sat down with people before and 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 explained the gospel, and and I once actually sat and and explained to one of the parents of one of my youth, and he said, "You know, I I believe this is probably true, but I'm just not sure I care." either yeah. way and 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 in a sense that's almost the most sad response is mm-hmm. like i can believe it but it just doesn't bother me yeah. either way and i guess if we've got to that stage in in our culture it's very hard to shake people out of that right yeah so that's um i think that's one of the things that i'm most concerned about and alarmed by and in general in America, there's still culture warring, um, but with the youth, uh, with, with Gen Z, the attitude is very much, uh, I think, what what you're describing of just like it's not even worth fighting. Like, yeah, mm. there's an indifference, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. So the older generations are still fighting the culture war, and the younger generations just like shrugging and moving on. So. Um, so, so briefly, cause we're, time is running short and I know you have some questions that you want to throw my way too. Um, so last question and try to keep it a little bit tight, um, is how do you, how do you have meaningful conversations about the gospel and about Christian doctrine? How do you, um, pursue theologically rich ministry to students in that context? I think you have to start always where they are, um, get alongside them and see uh, for them what is what are their particular issues and, and qualms and, and battles that they're facing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think listening yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. for a really succinct mm-hmm. answer. Um, it's just listening to them and where they're at um, because they're – each individual youth is going to be approaching it from a different direction from um yeah a different starting point so yeah. i think listening is crucial sorry just interrupting you there she wasn't listening <laughs> no, but it, it is true they i think one of the things and this has come across a, a couple of times i think in in your um a number of your podcasts is that people what what's really key at the moment and where youth work has transitioned um is it's no longer about winning an argument anymore it's about winning a heart and kids want warmth and they want love and they want acceptance and they want to know that you care about them as an individual because what they're not getting on social media is somebody who cares about them right and so what we need to do what we need to be is that person who cuts through the noise to meet them where they're at to be the person who listens the person who cares and the person who actually is going to sit with them and walk with them and talk with them and help them and ultimately open god's word with them and show them where they'll ultimately meet their desires where they can meet jesus where jesus will meet them yeah Amen, brother. Yeah, thank you so much for enlightening us. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something funny, but nothing's coming. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really thankful for you guys and for your ministries and for your friendship. So um, we have uh, about seven minutes at the end of this podcast for you to to throw your your questions my way. So Nick, you said you have you have a list. Well, I just had a couple of questions, Mike. Um, I am aware that it is five years since you wrote this seminal piece, A Biblical <laughs> Theology of Youth Ministry, um, which has been a, a huge catalyst for many people's youth ministries. Um, one thing I wanted to know, obviously <laughs> most of what you wrote in here, right, is not going to change because... Yeah. Um, you're writing from the Bible and you charted um, youth ministry. But, um, and so you've charted youth ministry through the Bible and, and you talked through theology and how it worked at different stages through church history, through the Bible, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. But you wrote this 
obviously pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And you wrote it in 2019, right? And so... Well, before then, because it had, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it was published then. Pre-publishing. Yeah. And so since then, your own children are now teenagers? Yep. How, like, how do you feel, like, has anything that you wrote in that book been challenged um, by actually having teenagers yourself? Like, how has your own um, youth ministry, because a lot of that, right, a lot of your particular work is um, talking about parenting and working with parents and getting alongside parents. And now that you are a parent of teenagers. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd say that anything has changed, but I would definitely rewrite the chapter on family differently. Um I mean the the primary goal of that book isn't wasn't to try to say um here's a super practical handbook for <laughs> for youth workers, but to to provide the nerdy foundation, biblical theology for what is youth ministry, biblically speaking, mm-hmm. historically speaking, theologically speaking, what is youth ministry? Um, so, yeah, I don't think I would really change too much. I desperately wish that um, the publisher <laughs> would let me revise the book, just because some of the writing is uneven. And so some what ta- there's, there's some tangents that I went off on that I wish I could <laughs> go back and just delete. Um, you know how much I, 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 yeah, I hate talking about myself and I hate reading anything that I've written because um, I hate everything I've written within a week after publishing it. <laughs> so. so, yeah, though, well, I guess my question then is like, you know, having been a youth worker for so long, um, How long have you done youth work? Oh my goodness, making me feel old. Um, I've been a youth pastor for 18 years and I was you know, doing volunteer work prior. So I think I can safely round, I think I can safely round to around 20 without fudging it too much. <laughs> so is it, is it different now having teens for yourself? Like, because... Yeah, it has that right, so here, here's the gold. the The best the part, um, the best part of being a youth pastor. No, that's not. Let me restart. The biggest change for me today, as a youth pastor, versus when my kids were not in the youth group, has to do with partnering with parents, mm-hmm. because now they're my peers, and right. they know. Um, when I was a young youth worker, it was always the sense of, well, you don't get it. And I didn't. And now I look back and I think, oh man, like they were right. I was wrong. I didn't get it. Um, I really should have listened to them more. Maybe parents actually do know a few things about their kids who they definitely love more than I do. Like maybe I should have listened to the parents more. Um, at the same time, um, the parents know that I have a vested interest. So the decisions I'm making, there isn't a suspicion of, well, you're just trying to do your own thing and you don't care about how the kids will receive it. You know, yeah. does that make sense? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you just, you're stuck in your ways and you have your way and this is what you like to do. And, you know, if the kids don't like it, you don't really care so much. Uh, this is just, your program, your program is your baby. And it's like, no, like my kids are, are in this as much as yours are like, we're in this together. Um, Mm. one of the other things that's much easier now is when kids are just rude or disrespectful. Um, I mean, I literally could be their dad. So (laughs) it's just much easier to have, disciplinary and direct conversations with them and be like, look, you know you can't do that, right? And like, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Like, we don't we don't mm-hmm. do that here. You know, please yeah, knock yeah, it yeah. off. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that type of conversation, it's much easier actually to get into deep theological gospel type of conversations because I am older and yeah. they expect me 
to have those conversations with them. So Mm -hmm. when I approach a kid and I just ask like, hey, how are you and Jesus doing? Like, how can I be praying for you? Is there anything that you've been working through or that would be helpful to talk about? Mm -hmm. Um, They're just, because of my age, um, they are, I don't have to cut through the cool. I don't have to try to play cool. I don't have to be all like, hey, hey, man, like, you know, that that never worked anyway. I was never yeah, that type of youth pastor, obviously. Uh, yeah, I can't pull the cool. I can't pull off cool. Um, we think you're cool, but yeah. that's not saying much. Yeah, no, well, debatable. So I have really high cool standards. So yeah, some some of those conversations are much easier. And then going to the parents and being like, "Hey, your kid, your kid's been a turd the last few weeks at youth group, and that's not what you want." That's not what I want. That's not what our youth leaders want. How can we come alongside each other and help set your kid up to do better mm-hmm. than this? Because that's not, this isn't what any of us want. And clearly something's going on. Yeah. And, and, and that's just, just a much easier conversation now that I'm in my 40s with teenagers in the youth group. That when you're yeah. a younger youth worker, you can't, you just can't be that direct about those things yeah just a quick question in terms of your youth volunteers what's the demographic as in do you have parents of the youth as your youth leaders your youth volunteers yeah yeah so most of my volunteers are parents um of of students in the ministry we do have um quite a number of young adults um who are in their 20s um serving in the ministry too so um, I, I've tried to pair most of our um, young adults up with other, you know, parents in the ministry to serve together, and yeah, it's been it's been a really good mix. Mm-hmm. Mike, I've used up all of my time, so I'm going to have to park all of my awkward and difficult questions. All right, no, <laughs> I, I, g- give me give me one more. <sighs> Uh, I, uh, my questions are, uh, uh, I, so, so I, let me phrase what I was going to say, and then I'll probably won't actually have time for the questions, but I, <laughs> so I was listening to, to one of your blog posts, um, which was an early blog, um, not blog, uh, podcasts with Barnabas Piper, and you were talking about doubts and deconstructions, um, and you were talking about, um, having opportunities for your young people to ask, you know, these ask me anything, um, where people can come along and they can, um, write down their questions and you yeah. talk about them. Yeah. And it's a great time for kids to express their doubts and yep. share their concerns. Yeah. And it's a good time because you've got your kind of Christian doubt versus yep. your kind of non-Christian doubt. Yeah. Um, and I guess what I was thinking is whether there's, opportunity and space for youth pastors to have opportunity for them to have their chance to do the same thing because because <laughs> i have loads of questions you um, don't have perfect I... faith no exactly. oh my goodness all right we're I deleting am... this episode i apologize to everyone <laughs> i know um but i just think like what is interesting is as a youth pastor, um, often you feel like you need to know always know everything yeah. and have answers, but you're very rarely left in a position where you're you're encouraged to keep asking questions mm. yourself yeah. and yeah. encouraged to keep thinking interesting questions and creative questions. You're always just constantly being told to look for answers yeah. and have answers. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend who was expressing that. She has all these questions about the Bible, about theology, about all these things. And I really resonated with her. And then she's like, when I ask people, they look worried. They look as if yeah. I'm falling away from Christianity or I'm not a Christian. And she's right. like, I'm not, I'm right. not. No, and I'm I like, just I've had questions. exactly that same yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have this particular thing, for example, I've, I've a number of questions that I also don't know where to take because yeah. um, they're kind of slightly bizarre theological questions <laughs> that I don't want to burden my pastor with. Right. And I don't have 
friends who are perhaps theologically equipped enough to really give me a particularly yeah. great answer like me right so <laughs> oh. so it's like when you want to, when you want to have a good theological discussion about something but come up with an answer what do you do yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think this is really great. Um, and honestly, my answer is, I wonder if maybe YPT could host an occasional, just like spin-off podcast, and, and ask <laughs> and ask everything and night ask for youth yeah. pastors. Instead, like, so I'd have these ask anything nights for students. What if we hosted just a random Zoom thing that we sent out to subscribers? Um, to come join this conversation and it's just going to be a round table workshop for what questions do we got? Yeah. Because it is hard um, as, as youth, as youth workers, as youth pastors, um, where do we take our questions? That's, that's real. So yeah, let, let's talk about that. So I appreciate you bringing it up. So. Um, but I, I appreciate both of you. I'm so thankful for your time. Listeners, thanks for listening in. And so um, make sure you check out the podcast and um, the people already are. I'm just going to close up the conversation. My mind's spinning because I really like this <laughs> idea of the Ask Everything Night. And I have zero ability to multitask. And now I'm like <laughs> five miles down the trail on this um, idea. So thanks for the suggestion. Thank you both for your time. You guys are wonderful. And I'm so thankful <laughs> for you. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Please visit youthpastortheologian.com to learn more about our resources. You can find us on social media at Youth Theologian. We also have an active Facebook group where you can ask questions, share articles, and generally encourage fellow youth pastor theologians who are in the trenches with you. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, or even recommend this podcast to fellow youth workers. You can also subscribe to get new articles delivered to your inbox and to ensure that you don't miss any fresh content by checking out our website at youthpastortheologian.com. Most of all, we appreciate your ministry and your partnership in the gospel. If there's a topic that you'd like us to address or if you have an article to submit for the blog, then you can also share those on our website by following the submissions tab. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>